Welcome to the Flood Church Sermon Podcast, where we bring you sermons from our teaching team at Flood Church, Lilongwe, Malawi. For more information, you can go to floodchurch.com. In Nehemiah chapter 9, I'll read from verse 1 to 3 and also jump and read from verse 32 to 35. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth, putting dust on their heads. Those of Israel descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Verse 32. Now therefore our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all these hardships seem strifing in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, our ancestors do not follow your law. They do not pay attention to your commands or your statutes. You warn them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in their spacious and fertile land, you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. God, we pray that our hearts will be captivated by the love of God. For when you call us, all you want from us is a yes. May we say yes to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have your seat. Uh, Just remember that we're going to have food together after this gathering because today is vision day, but also we have a hangout where we eat together. So this is why we are taking a bit longer today, uh, because we know we're going to eat after this. Uh, and it's great. And also the weather has just changed, so this is good. Ever found yourself in a space where you said these words, I never thought I would be here. I never thought I would be here. Ever found yourself that, You've made a mistake in your own life. You messed up. You got yourself in a sin. And you say these words, I never thought I would get here. Even though you knew what you were doing. Even though you knew the, uh, the choices you were making. Even though you knew that this was not good for you. But you found yourself in this space where you're saying, I never knew. I never thought. I would be here. And the reason why we say those things is because we are so broken by sin. And the reason why we are so broken by sin is because we find ourselves facing this troubling disconnect in our own hearts, in our own lives. And the disconnect we find ourselves in, it's very troubling. Because we look at this disconnect of who we are versus who we ought to be. Who you are versus who you should You should be. You are a believer, yes. You believe in Jesus, but you find yourself struggling with this sin that you cannot shake off. And you're like, who I am in this moment should not be who I should be or who I ought to be. You know you're a believer and you love Jesus. And you know your words should be kinder. But for some reason, your words in this situation were not kind. And you find yourself in this disconnect. Of who you are versus who you should be. I should be better. I should be kinder. 
you know that God will provide for you. But somehow you find yourself accepting those bribes, involving yourself in corruption, and you mess up, and you're like, who I am in this moment does not correspond to who I should be. I should be better. You know, Jesus commands you to love other people better, to love your neighbor. Jesus commands you to avoid sexual immorality. Jesus commands you to be better. He commands you to avoid that gossip. But you find yourself in this place where you are involving yourself in sexual immorality. You're involving yourself in gossip. And you know who you are in that moment as a gossiper does not correspond to who you should be. Because you know you should be bad. And therefore you find yourself broken and maybe full of guilt and maybe full of shame. And as we're reading this passage, uh, we see in this passage when these guys remember that they came back from exile. And the reason why they were in exile is because they disobeyed God. They disobeyed God and God sent them away, had them experience a disruption in their own lives. And sometimes God will allow our lives to be disrupted, not as a way of punishing us, but as a way of beckoning us, calling us back. Come to me. I'm going to allow this destruction in your life, but I'm actually inviting you. I'm inviting you to come to me. I'm inviting you to come to me. So listen to their prayer. Verse 33, in all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted fully. Our kings and our leaders, our priests and our censors do not follow your law. They do not pay attention to your commands or statutes. You warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fatal land you gave them, they did not save you or turn from their evil ways. In this passage, if you read the whole chapter, it's just showing the Israelites just coming to God and confessing their sins. When you find yourself in this, in this disconnect of who you are versus who you should be, when you find yourself in that space, the best thing you can do is to name your reality, to name your reality, to confess what's going on. You got to say, what's really happening here? And this is what is called confession. And confession is a, is a Greek word that you find in the New Testament. And it means uh, to agree with God. To agree with God. It means to admit to God to say, my bad, my fault. I'm a sinner and I need your help. So you just need to tell God your reality. And this is what they are doing. This is actually what happened. And this is actually what's happening with us. Naming your reality naming your own reality so they prayed prayers where they looked back they prayed prayers where they disobeyed God and telling God we disobeyed you we were at fault we made wrong choices they are praying and naming their reality naming what's going on because when you name your your reality what's going to happen is when we name our reality where we are at, we are letting God or allowing God to take us to where he wants us to be. We name where we are. We name where we are so that God can take us where he wants us to be. So name your reality. Because when you name your reality, 
It will give you the opportunity to address what's going on. If you cannot name it, you cannot address it. If you can't name it, you can't address it. So pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on and name what's happening. Tell God, confess it to God. And when you're reading this passage in verse 1, it says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. You know, they allowed themselves to do this confession in a community. They said, you know what? We're going to do this together as a people of God. We're going to do this together. And this is very, very powerful. The reason why they did this together is because shame can never be dealt alone. You cannot engage shame by yourself. You need the community of God. You need the community of God. Because when you look at yourself and come to face to face with the reality that I am not where I should be, in this moment is a moment of shame. And you are filled with shame. When you come face to face with this disconnect, this gap that exists between who you are and who you should be in that moment, they'll be full of shame. Because you cannot imagine you are the kind of person who would do this sort of thing. You would be saying, I should be better. Why did I even find myself here? Why did I even find myself here? And we, when you do not allow to face that shame with a group of people, with a community, what you're going to do is what we all do. What we do when we come face to face with shame is that we hide. We run away. We run away. We hide. And when we hide, we actually give sin the power to have on us. We give sin the power when we try to engage shame by ourselves. You have done it and you know what that looks like. That when you're first, when you're in the presence of shame, you try to run away from community and you try to run away from God. You try to hide. And the problem is when we are hiding, it is in the hiding that our hearts get hardened. Hiding hardens our hearts. Hiding hardens our hearts. Ever find yourself in a situation where you are in this sin and full of shame, full of brokenness, and you say, I'm already in it. So what's the point of stopping now? I'm already in it. Why should I stop now? I can just keep going. I've already messed up anyway. So what's the point for me to stop doing this? Because you are hiding and you convince yourself that this is good for you. Because when you are hiding, your heart gets hardened. Your heart gets hardened. Your heart gets hardened. And we are not alone that find ourselves in this disconnect of who we are versus who we should be. Paul, the apostle, also found himself in this, in this disconnect. Romans 7 verse 19 says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And verse 24 he says, What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. But thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ our Lord. 
We are more prone to despair when we look at what we cannot do for ourselves. But we become more hopeful when we look at what Jesus can do for us. When you are alone in that moment, when you are out there in that shame, and you see what you cannot do for yourself because you feel broken, this sin, you cannot shake it off. When you look and, uh, and want to find solutions within yourself, you're going to be hopeless. We are more hopeless when we look at what we cannot do for ourselves. But we are more hopeful when we look at what Jesus can do for us. So Jesus Christ looks at us in our own shame, in our own guilt. He looks at us and he says, come to me. I accept you. You come to me. You come to me. You come to me. And when you read that passage, it says that uh, the, the Nehemiah passage, it talks about that these people continue to sin, even though God was kind to them. And there is a scripture that says, kindness leads to repentance. God's kindness leads us to repent. We have to confess, not because we are afraid of the consequences we're going to receive from our sin. But we have to confess because we are motivated by the kindness that God gives us. Because when you are motivated by the consequences you're going to get from your sin, how about the time that you don't actually feel the consequence? Then you're going to continue in your sin. But we need to look at the mercy of God. We need to look at the grace of God. We need to look at the kindness of God. Because His kindness does lead us to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow brings death. When you want to run away, when you want to just confess because of the consequences of your sin, that is worldly sorrow. But godly sorrow looks at the kindness of God. God is so kind to me. Why am I actually doing this? I want to go and run to him. So we can experience God's goodness even in our shame. And we do that by looking at the cross, the cross of Jesus. Because on that cross where the Son of God was hung, when we look at that cross, the cross shows us two things. First of all, it shows us of how grave our sin is, but also shows us of the greatness of the grace of God. It shows us of the greatness of the grace of God. It shows you that my sin hurt God to the point of killing a God. But in the same vein, God is so gracious that even me who puts, me, who puts him up on the cross, he will die for me. That he's so gracious towards me. So the cross will show you how grave your sin is. But also will show you how gracious our God is. The cross will show you the reality of your sin. That actually sin hurts God. Sin brings pain to our God. But also our God is so gracious that he will die for us. To rescue us. To give us hope. First John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. And purify us from all unrighteousness. God is so faithful when we confess our sins. You might be feeling lost right now. You might be feeling 
lost in this moment. You might be feeling guilt right now. You might be feeling naked. You might be feeling the shame on you right now. You might be feeling worthless right now. But if you confess your sins to God, he is faithful. He is faithful to forgive you. And he is faithful to purify you from all unrighteousness. So our response this morning is to confess, to name our reality, where we are at, and to allow God to help us. I don't know what your sin is. It could be unkindness. It could be unforgiveness, sexual immorality, stealing, envy, jealous, idolatry, hatred, selfishness, corruption, drunkenness. I don't know what your sin is right now. But God is so faithful. God is so faithful to forgive you. He's so faithful to purify you in his own righteousness. So come to God. Get out of your shame. Get out of the hiding and come to him. Because you remember the question that God did ask Adam. When Adam sinned against God, he ran away. And, Adam went, and God went to, to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And that's the question that every time when we run away from God, God comes after us and he says, where are you? Come out of the hiding and come into the light. Come into the light. Thanks for listening to the Flood Church Sermon Podcast. Please send us your feedback by commenting below or by emailing floodlilongwe at gmail.com.